Well, after announcing his 80-member shadow cabinet in October, Pierre Polyev has been busy putting together a team of senior political aides to prepare his party for the next federal election. In September, Mr. Polyev became the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, securing on the first ballot after receiving a record-setting 68% of the vote. Uh, Mr. Polyev has been touring BC the last four days. He joins us now. Mr. Polyev, thank you for your time today. Good to be with you. All right, well, lots to talk about. Let's focus a little bit on the economy. Uh, earlier this week, Christia Freeland announced an economic update which assumes if a recession is avoided, the, the federal deficit will be $36 billion, an improvement over the $52 billion deficit forecast by the government in April. Now, the forecast projects a $4.5 billion surplus by 2027-2028. Program expenses are at $430 billion, and those will continue to rise rise further each year over the the next five years. Now, some would argue Canadians are still hurting post-COVID. Would you keep spending at this same level if you're elected prime minister? No, the spending increases are unsustainable. Ms. Freeland added another... $20 billion of new inflationary spending measures in her most recent fall economic update. That's on on top of a half a trillion dollars of inflationary deficits in the last two years alone. The cost of government is driving up the cost of living. Uh, More borrowed and printed money bids up the goods we buy and the interest we pay. The inflationary carbon tax is making things further worse by, by driving up the cost of our farmers to produce food, our truckers to deliver goods to our grocery stores and uh, everything else. So the more the Liberals spend, the more things cost. It's just inflation. I would cap government spending with a new law, a dollar-for-dollar law that requires government to find a dollar in savings for every new dollar of spending. I'd also um, eliminate the carbon tax to um, lower the cost of food, gas, and home heating. Um, and I would uh, move, uh, I would remove the government red tape that, so that our farmers and businesses can produce more affordable food, homes, and energy uh, for Canadians. Why do you want to repeal the carbon tax? Some would argue, uh, as a free enterprise party, that putting a price on carbon, particularly in the interests of dealing with climate change, is the right thing to do. Why do you wish to repeal the carbon tax? But what we've seen is it hasn't worked. Um, The tax has been in place now uh, since 2016, and and the Liberal government has failed to meet a single solitary climate uh, target since that time. Uh, Emissions continue to go up. And what we need instead is to um, encourage technological transformations by making alternatives more affordable rather than making traditional energy more expensive. Um, we, um, that's what I will do. I'll encourage uh, nuclear power to replace coal-fired electricity. I'll um, incentivize carbon capture and storage so we can bury the carbon back in the ground where it came from. I'll also encourage the export of clean Canadian energy to places like China and India so that they can shut down their foreign coal-fired. Uh, and these are the kinds of practical things that will actually reduce emissions while 
making it possible for Canadians to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about housing. I've just had the, the mayor of Vancouver on the show uh, in the last hour. It's an incredibly complex issue. No one government can fix the problem. All three levels of government have to work together on this. But I can say uh, under the leadership of uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, average house prices in this region have probably gone up on average about half a million dollars. What would your government do to reverse that trend? Well, um, the, let, let, let's acknowledge the, the source of the problem. Um, the federal government printed half a trillion dollars, and a lot of that money flooded into our financial and mortgage system, allowing investors to bid up the cost of housing. And meanwhile, local-level gatekeepers prevented housing construction um, with incredible delays and high costs to get building permits. Vancouver is probably the worst uh, for this. Um, the cost of government baked into the average Vancouver home is $650,000. That's permitting delays, development charges, taxes, uh, and consulting fees, etc. That is insane. That's why Vancouver is the third most overpriced housing market on planet Earth, worse than New York, Los Angeles, uh, London, England, Singapore, etc. So here's the solution. A poly of government will require large overpriced cities to issue faster building permits at lower prices if they want to get federal infrastructure money. In fact, I will link the number of infrastructure dollars that big cities get to the number of houses that get completed so that we can incentivize cities like Vancouver to remove these gatekeepers, speed up construction. I'm going to sell off 15% of the the underutilized 37,000 federal buildings so that those buildings can be converted into housing. In other words, stop printing money, start building houses. But the challenge of housing has been there prior to the challenges of COVID, uh, Mr. Polyev. Uh, I mean, I understand what you're saying in regards to some of the money that's been out in the uh, out uh, in the economy during COVID and what's been printed. But a lot of these problems uh, are structural and have been there way before COVID uh, even arrived. What makes you think the federal government has that power over municipalities to make the real changes that are required? Well, it is true that municipalities and provinces are responsible for most of the housing permitting, but the federal government does provide a lot of housing dollars and infrastructure money. And if we attach conditions to that, to those dollars that require city, big cities to get things built, then it will. I think that it will light a fire under the bureaucrats and politicians. One thing mayors and city councillors understand is money. They always want more federal money. Well, my answer to them is going to be, get out of the way, let builders build. If you want federal money, you have to get houses completed because it is ridiculous that we have the second worst housing bubble on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. House prices have doubled under Justin Trudeau. This was not a problem seven years ago. Not Not at all, not even close. They've doubled under Justin Trudeau because all he's done is pump more money into the system we should have done is push for faster construction 
and we need to crack down on, frankly, these big city gatekeepers who are preventing Canadians from owning homes. Uh, Mr. Paul, you have, uh, yesterday, uh, Global News reported uh, a report that was leaked, uh, basically commissioned by the Vancouver Police Department, that showed this $5 billion uh, in in spending by um, four levels of City Hall in Vancouver and the six uh, government ministries, the provincial government ministries. Basically, we spent $5 billion between all those entities in the city of Vancouver, not even Metro Vancouver, in the city of Vancouver. That comes out to just under $14 million a day. And yet we still have mental health and addiction issues. We have public safety issues. How can the federal government help, particularly around public safety, and mental health addiction, because this report just came out yesterday. More is going to come out tomorrow. The mayor was on my show just an hour ago on this issue. But if those numbers are correct, and this is, this is a report commissioned by the VPD, $5 billion, with a B, dollars spent a year, $14 million a day, and we still have huge issues in this city. Yeah, so the approach of the Liberals and NDP has been a disaster. Um, the uh, Trudeau government has uh, made it, uh, flooded our streets with the illegal drug. What were illegal drugs by now legalizing them, um, and is tax using taxpayers' money to supply dangerous narcotics onto the streets. They told us this would make things safe, that it would reduce overdoses. It did exactly the opposite. In fact, overdoses in BC are up 300 uh, percent. BC Health said yesterday. Uh, that the province is on track to have 2,000 overdoses. That's four times what it was when Trudeau took office. Um, and that's just for one year. So um, then then he, what he's done is, is made it easy for repeat violent offenders to get easy bail so they go back out on the street and reoffend over and over again. This is Trudeau's policy. Uh, my answer is to do the opposite. One, I would redirect the money away from taxpayer-subsidized narcotics towards treatment and recovery we should provide addicts with beds counseling detox and help them get off their addiction that's what they're doing in alberta right now and that has reduced overdoses by 50 percent in just one year secondly the vast majority of crime is being committed by a very small group of reoffenders. Uh, I, I saw a letter from bc mayor showing that in vancouver something like 600 sorry 6,000 arrests uh, work for 40 people, 40 people just reoffending over and over and over again. Those worst, the, the prolific repeat offenders need to be kept in jail. And finally, we need to bolster our borders to keep the illegal, dangerous drugs and guns out of our country. That's the three-step approach I would take. For just joining us, uh, we are speaking to Pierre Polyev, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. He is uh, touring British Columbia. He's been here for four days, I think a couple more days before Mr. Polyev heads back to Ottawa. Lots to talk about. Uh, Mr. Polyev, let's focus a little bit about immigration. This is a city built uh, by immigrants, as are many of our communities across the country. Um, Recently, the Liberal government said they would increase immigration levels to 500,000 immigrants a year. That, of course, doesn't include international students, but 500,000 in many ways, and that was by 2025. In many ways, that's a a symbolic number that we've never had immigration levels at such uh, at such a uh, such a number, I recall early in the early nineties we were debating numbers around two hundred twenty two hundred forty thousand uh, people emigrating to Canada every single year in the context of housing in the context of transit needs in our major cities, uh, do you support immigration levels at five hundred thousand dollars five hundred thousand people a year look i don 't think that numerical targets uh, are the answer because from year to year it 's going to go up and down. 
so when you have um, very low unemployment and high demand for new workers, you're going to have higher levels of economic immigration. In higher, when unemployment goes up, you're obviously going to have fewer employers sponsoring newcomers to work for them. Um, the same goes for family reunification and refugees. If you have fewer the, uh, charities sponsoring refugees, you'll have fewer in a given year. But another year, you might have more because there's more capacity to sponsor them. So uh, what I would rather do is have the, a, a demand-driven system where in times when the job market is booming, employers are able to quickly sponsor immigrants to come and work in otherwise unfilled jobs. Uh, We need to speed up economic immigration dramatically. I was in Surrey yesterday at a restaurant that is built, furnished, decorated, beautiful chandeliers everywhere. And guess what? Hmm. Not in operation for four years. Why? Because they can't get cooks. And they need cooks from India they had those cooks, they could then hire local people to have to be the waiters, waitresses, receptionists, etc. But the, the, the true immigration system is so slow and slow lumbering that they can't get those cooks into the country. Meanwhile, there's there's 2.6 million immigration applications in the backlog. So when I see all of these big um, uh, lofty promises from the Liberals about 500,000 immigration applications that are going to process... I'll see it to believe it. They have been so incompetent, and there are so many employers who can't get workers, so many families separated from loved ones, so many, so many, uh, also so many um, um, refugees languishing in, in camps because of this poor and irresponsible government failing to process the job. Final question to you. We got about a minute left here. Uh, we spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of time on this show talking about China. Yesterday, we uh, talked to Sam Cooper from Global News, uh, where we learned that China was allegedly targeting Canada with a vast campaign of foreign interference, which included funding cl- clandestine networks uh, of, of at least eleven federal federal candidates running in the twenty nineteen election. There has been much talk about ec- economic espionage. We've talked about three uh, uh, Chinese companies told to disinvest from c- three Canadian mining. Uh, operations in this country. We've often talked about uh, Australia having a collective spine and pushing back on China and espionage. And it's a smaller country than Canada. Um, Do you think we need to do a lot more in regards to changing our relationship with China? And specifically, if you're prime minister of this country, what would you do in regards to our relationship with China? Well, first and foremost, we should get to the bottom of this. This report is uh, really eye-opening. If, in fact, a foreign government is sponsoring uh, election candidates, that's illegal. Um, Foreign governments are not allowed to donate money to election campaigns in Canada. Um, And that that should be investigated by the elections commissioner. Um, Second, uh, I think uh, we need to know what Justin Trudeau has done. He, He apparently got briefed on this. Um, months ago, and I'm not aware of any action he has taken to counter this apparent interference. Um, but uh, third, I think we need to become a more independent country. Look, we're, we're, a lot more people are driving electric cars. That's great. But the batteries are coming from lithium that is mined or refined in China. We're becoming more dependent on the Chinese economy for rare minerals that we have right here in Canada. We should be expediting mining and manufacturing projects that allow us to become independent from China in the production of the minerals and the products that we're going to need 
in the future. We need to protect our IP against espionage, and we need to prevent state actors from buying up our critical minerals because that will leave us helpless in the future economy. So uh, we need a country that stands on its own two feet, brings home production, and uh, protects itself against foreign political interference in our democratic process. Mr. Paul, you have always a pleasure chatting with you. Look forward to having you on the show and in studio one day as well, hopefully very soon. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it, and I'd love to come see you in the studio.